change is hard, yeah. you know? Change is hard and being the first is really, really hard. How do we shift from cheap to value? Hi, I'm Peter Goodwin, founder of CoCreate, and welcome to our podcast, The Reset, where we take a deep dive into those businesses and people really driving forward with our sustainable future. And I'm absolutely delighted today to, um, to be at Silo in London to have a discussion with someone who I've, I've worked with probably over the last 10 years and can obviously empathise with their journey as well. Uh, Douglas McMaster, I would say, owner of, of Silo That's and it. also fellow zero waste pioneer. So welcome Douglas to the, to the podcast and, and, and obviously thanks for your time today. No, it's a pleasure. It's, um, yeah, uh, you're one of the sort of, um, yeah, people that I've known for such a long time and uh, yeah, there's very few, there's like a handful of people that I can really trust um, with when it comes to um, decisions within sustainability. Um, so, you know, it's great to always connect and um, yeah, uh, yeah, chat. <laughs> well, thanks for those very kind words. Um, and I think what we wanted to do today, obviously now we've spoken um, over the last 10 years, I'm sure a lot of people will be aware of the silo journey um, and, and the great strides mm. that silo has made. But for those uh, who are seeing Douglas McMaster for the first time, let, let's start by talking about you as an individual, where you started. Yeah. And then really this, this let me say, a crusade in pioneering the zero waste approach. So sure. really defining what zero waste is and, and how you've achieved that from, from, the, from, from the start, from the concept through to, to silo in Brighton, the testing sure. through to where you are now. Yeah. When we get to that point, we can then talk about what we need to do and the, the systemic change sure. in the future. But let's start off by, by talking about yourself and, and your journey. Sure. Um, well, I'm uh, from the north of England. Um, I'm 33 now and started cooking when I was 16, 17. Um, and I did so because I was uh, a school dropout. Um, kitchens, um, the hospitality industry uh, as a whole is very welcoming uh, to, to those that don't have um, higher education uh, that are not academics um, and so on and I was I was um, dyslexic but never I was never like um, diagnosed as dys dyslexic um, and that's quite a difficult thing because you just you know made to feel or you know you're likely to feel um, dumb you're likely to feel that there's something wrong with you um, and so uh, so yeah I, I dropped out of school with a real like chip on my shoulder I really um, had a problem with authority you know because essentially that authority was um, asking me what's what's wrong with you what why can't you do this everyone else can do this what's wrong with you and I you know really had a bug to bear with that um, schooling system um, and authority in general and kitchens were quite like welcoming um, kitchens reminded me of like a pirate ship there was this kind of like there was kind of rules but there's this freedom to express yourself and I don't know I just felt quite comfortable in that environment and um, was able to um, do quite well I uh, had a, um, a fierce ambition maybe it was the chip on the shoulder it was this I was so determined to like be the best which I realized 
um, is a kind of shallow um, aspiration to be the best. That's such a silly thing. But I had this real burning desire to prove these people wrong that, that, that you know, that sort of laughed at me at school. Just just on that, I mean, it, and, and part of what we're trying to do through the podcast is actually find out the characteristics of, of entrepreneurs as well. Now, mm. do you think... You know, uh, get some empathy with that approach. Now, do you think that's something that's driven your entrepreneurial spirit through mm. through business? And and it's interesting, isn't it, that society now grades young people depending mm. on their academic ability. Yeah. I mean, surely we have to question the the, the reality of that. We've seen so many stories of people who who had similar similar kind of background mm. to yourself who've yeah. come on to be the best entrepreneurs, the most successful people. Yeah. Not through academia, but it seems that academia kind of kind of turns their back on people. Yeah. If you're not going to get your 11 plus, if you're not going to get your GCSEs, mm. your A-levels, your degree, what worth are you to society? Now, obviously from that side of things is you found a path and you've gone through it. Now, uh, just questions that what does society need to change? Mm. Obviously there's a huge amount of talent there that we're missing out on and we're not encouraging if you felt mm. that way. But also on the same turn, that's kind of driven your entrepreneurial spirit and that might have then become part of what you are mm. today. So it's just it's just interesting to see how how academia and, and, and entrepreneurialism are, are kind of mixed. And, mm. and maybe that was the making of, of what you got to. Now I'm not saying that's the right way and, and we should we should look differently. And I suppose from a from a from a hospitality perspective, there's a great opportunity there and that, mm. that's nurtured some of their talent. But we've got to think that surely there's other people who can do other skills that mm. we can we can better harness that talent when people are a lot mm. younger. So academia um, um, valorizes and uh, champions two um, two types of intelligence. <clears throat> There's a, a really amazing um, uh, intellectual who talks about eight types of intelligence, and that that modern academia and like you know you do an IQ test and it champions um, basically your maths uh, and your English uh, capabilities. I've done a few IQ tests in my life and they're very stressful. You're on this time limit and there's this. Uh, I'm reading the question like three times over because I'm dyslexic and then yep. thinking, oh, I'm so dumb, and then it's like not very discalculator as well so it's um, designed not to be you know suitable for me <laughs> and and other dyslexics essentially um, and yeah that's what society um, decides is in intelligence um, but there's um, and yeah there's uh, so many different forms of intelligence than than just maths English and science and um, yeah, and uh, yeah, I didn't know any of this as as I was it was as I was young and growing up, and um, hospitality was just this you know um, uh, environment in which I could um, climb the ladder yeah. um, without any sort of judgment as to what what kind of. Um, you know, tests that I'd succeeded on. Um, so yeah, and, and so fresh face, yeah. Douglas McMaster enters yeah. into hospitality, gets into kitchens. What what yeah. happened from there? Um, well, yeah, I, I sort of didn't fall in love with food. I did, I did fall in love with this environment. I started to realise that I am quite um, artistic and I like uh, expressing myself in different ways and got like you know uh, satisfaction from those expressions and and cooking um, and just being in a kitchen and the way you work and it was quite um, there's a lot of 
personality uh, afforded to you. And so, um, yeah, I just kind of climbed the ladder and had this burning ambition to like prove, I don't know who I was trying to prove wrong specifically, like a PE teacher that called me dumb or whatever, like he was never, never going to find out. But um, I, you know, maybe it was to myself and um, sent my CV to all the best restaurants and then went, just basically climbed that ladder in, in, that, in that way. Um, never knew anything about sustainability um, and just had to like aspire to be um, as good as I could be. And then I do remember getting to the point of winning a national cooking competition, mm -hmm. BBC Young Chef of the Year. It's a big thing. 2009, yeah, right. and I won it. I won and I went from, you know, this this person, this, you know, I was terrified of speaking in class, terrified, um, you know, called dumb by a teacher and, 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 and so on. And then I, um, three or four years later, won Britain's best young chef under yep. the age of 25 and I was 21. So it was a real sort of zero to hero sort of thing going on and it was very kind of confusing. <laughs> and I didn't know how to feel or what to feel. And I, I also had this kind of this existential moment where I was like, now what do I do? Like now I've won this, you know, from, you know, I've climbed this ladder to the top and like, I'm the best chef, so to speak. And I remember like, what the hell do I do now? And I also remember feeling like, empty inside it was a very strange peculiar feeling that was like what it was almost like well I, I now can reflect and realize that it was just there was nothing to be found in that kind of success it's 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 kind there's of no empty there's no purpose yeah. there was no fulfillment in that um so i didn't really i was sort of a bit lost for a while and then uh, went traveling and, and traveled and um, met an artist um, who is a mutual friend of ours. Yeah. Um, this brings us into the, the world of sustainability. He was a Dutch-born um, Dutch Aussie um, uh, artist and innovator and pioneer of the zero waste movement, a Joost Bakker, J-O-O-S-T-B-A-K-K-E-R. Um, well worth uh, having a look at what he does. Um, and he just like, again, he, he, he just totally blew my mind with um, what, uh, I don't know, uh, what you can do in hospitality. And he wasn't even a, a chef or in hospitality. He was an artist that um, was asked to build a restaurant made out of waste materials. Yeah. Um, and he was just this um, maverick artist um, that by this point I was aspiring to be. You know, I, I kind of wanted to yeah, go against the way things were. I, I you know, through that sort of um, been spit out of a, an educational system, a schooling system that I deplored um, to just wanting to like change the way things are and like working in hospitality, working in kitchens and being so angry at the way things were. I was so angry at the violence and the bullying and the um, the, 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 the 80 hour weeks and just um, the low pay and just like, it was just the whole, um, yeah, certainly in the, in the early 2000s and the late 90s, like, you know, hospitality was a pretty dark place and yeah. I really wanted to rebel against that system. Okay, so we got, and, and this is how we met, obviously, through, I mean, you had probably classed Yoast as one of your, your mentors. Yeah, absolutely. Um, obviously, my 
my movement into sustainability was through mm. Rob Pascoe, who started Closed Loop again yeah. in Australia. I think the, uh, the, the Aussies were a, a yeah. bit of a step ahead of us in yeah, their way of definitely. thinking. Yeah. But obviously very much uh, started that creativity. And I think what, what mm. I'm hearing there is you wanted to create, you wanted your own purpose. You wanted mm. to, so the fact that you necessarily weren't weren't a chef what you were looking for is is a better way of doing things yeah. and i think that's the the core thing and you could look at how you were looking to do that through 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 hospitality and mm. how you could communicate that through food yeah. and i think that creativity has definitely come through so where the story starts in sustainability being inspired by yoast is silo in australia mm. um so and this is where we get to the key part of your your work designing a restaurant from back to front yeah and, and, and zero waste. So, mm. and then moving on to that pre-industrial food system, which mm -hmm. you're so passionate about. Yeah. So how did Silo do it? And how did you succeed? Because I'd imagine you're like, you know, I've read your book and you're like me, every time someone says you can't do it that way, you yeah, say, yeah, why yeah, not? Exactly, or, yeah. yeah, yeah immediately yeah. think, I am gonna do it that way mm. because you can't tell me what to do. Yeah, I think yeah. that's caused the entrepreneurial spirit. Yeah. So what system did you operate? And how did Silo operate? And how did Silo, Champion so many things and lay the blueprint for what you've pretty much then mm. taken forward over the next 10 years. Yeah. Um, so Yoast was this um, brilliant artist and he said to me, he was building a restaurant out of waste materials and I kind of was at the right place at the right time. Um, and he said to me, do you think you could operate a restaurant that doesn't have a bin? Um, Which is pretty radical at the time. <laughs> profound even, you know, it was, to not have a bin. I just spent weeks trying to wrap my head around that. And um, I was just so impressed with, with who this you know, human being was. I was just like, yes, sure, I can operate a restaurant without a bin. I had no idea what I was talking about. But yeah, I was determined to, 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 to take that brilliant um, premonition, that idea, and do something with it. And so, yeah, we worked together, Yost and I, and a, and a, and a crew of brilliant people and um, opened a, a kind of permanent cafe. The building that I'd mentioned was called the Greenhouse and that was a temporary pop-up. But the, we opened Silo by Yoast in Melbourne in 2012. So um, that was, yeah, nearly a decade ago. Um, and uh, yeah, we didn't have a bin. Uh, so so that, how did that work? How did not having a bin manifest? What did you need to do? What changes needed you to do? to not have the bin, mm -hmm. what ones were easy and what ones were really hard? So it's a systems change, which yeah. we could talk about for you know a long time. Systems change, um, it's difficult to unpick um, a, a, a system that's, that's not good, but by starting a new system from scratch is where you can really um, impart that sort of radical change. And so it's very simple, and the idea of zero waste then is exactly the same as it is now, but it's in its very sort of infancy. Um, there's three main principles. As a restaurant, this doesn't necessarily apply to like people at home. Yeah, we can take that on yep. in later on. Let's explore it from the restaurant and then yep. we can apply From the restaurant, the three main principles. One, and most importantly, is direct trade. Yep. So as soon as you trade directly with the origin of food, or like farmers, foragers, fishermen, um, etc., there is no plastic. So plastic comes from the middleman, so to speak, the industrial supply chain. But when you circumvent that industrial um, supply chain, you go directly to nature and you get the things you need into the restaurant directly. 
Now I noticed on that because the the the, the name of this episode is uh, is another quote from your your book, which is when you trade with nature, you don't use packaging. Exactly, yeah. which is exactly the the thing people would must have said to you, never going to work. That must be. Yeah, I imagine yeah, that's yeah, the yeah. one thing people yeah, would yeah. say never going to work. And that's but, why I was so determined to make it work. <laughs> okay, and how did you do that in terms of food stuff coming in? How did mm. how did food? How did you get you know? Your milk delivered, your wine delivered, mm. your your yeah, your vegetables yeah. delivered. How how did you how did that manifest itself? So basically, um, loose and just in reusable vessels. So it's really simple. Um, everything that came through the front door was in a reusable vessel, was itself natural. Um, there's a couple of examples of where the packaging uh, is natural, like cardboard, for instance. Mm. Certain things can be broken down into the, the compost machine or the composting system. But um, essentially everything that came in um, from the origin, uh, from the farms, etc., uh, directly um, was in reusable or natural materials. Okay. And so what, what was the reaction of the, the farmers? Were they willing? Was there an issue from uh, their the, perspective? Or? There was, there was a, a few raised eyebrows. The dairy farm, a really amazing pasture-fed um, dairy farm, you know, all of the sort of organic uh, stereotypes you'd imagine. Um, but when I said, can you put this milk and cream into a stainless steel pail, they were very confused and said to me, why would you do that? Plastic's amazing. You know, this is 2013. Yeah. Um, they were like, plastic's so cheap, it's so lightweight, it's amazing. They loved plastic, uh, which is kind of ir ironic. Um, and I had to like insist that they put the milk and the cream in this stainless steel pail. Mm. And they didn't get what I was talking about with zero waste or whatever, because that was an unheard of term then. Yeah. Um, and so, and so, yeah, eventually I managed to convince them, but it was, yeah, it was difficult. Uh, changing people's behaviours is, is a very, it's a big challenge, you know. So direct trade being one. So yep. if we stay on direct trade just for one second, mm -hmm. one thing that we discussed um, in the previous podcast with, with Mark Shaler was the ability, if you're buying direct, the economic benefit of not having the middleman yeah. can be immense. Yeah. However, as you've noted, buying direct from farmers can have its benefits in terms mm. of, of you know, better trade, better price, mm. potentially better choice. But 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 buying direct from farmers, kitchens don't do that at this mm. moment in time, and there's probably a reason why behind that. So so yeah. what what are the negatives from buying direct in terms of you know reliability, <laughs> delivery, you know, yeah, and, so and is that workable? I mean, you, the, the answer is yes because you've done it, mm -hmm. but. What, what, what are the positives and negatives for that? So why industrialism is so um, popular is its efficiency. So um, the industrial supply chain is, is very punctual, it's very on time, there's all this choice and there's availability. Um, uh, all of the things you know that, that that system is designed to do. So when you go away from that, you miss all of those benefits. So yeah. farmers are less punctual. <laughs> yeah, uh, are less you know likely to be travelling into town every single day. You know they 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 don't have that infrastructure. Um, so yeah, working with farmers was was quite stressful in a lot of ways because instead of getting deliveries when we want it, how we want it, like the industrial system gives us we had to do it when it was convenient for them so we had to receive goods once or twice a week yeah. and then had to like design our schedules around the farmer's schedule and that obviously proved a lot of logistical uh, headaches mm -hmm. um, 
so yeah, that was. But, it, but, but you did it. And you can it. make it yeah, work. Yeah, and now it's now the world's a very different place, and yeah. it's um, it's easy now. It's 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 crazy how much easier it is now. I used to like get so frustrated and put out by these farmers <laughs> that I would just start driving to the farms. Yep. But then I was spending like half a day or more a day of driving a week, which is not efficient either. Yeah, you know. So it was a real sort of um, swim upstream. Yeah. Um, but you achieved it. Yes. So direct trade. So direct trade. can be done, yep. and you've proved to run uh, an operation scale of silo mm -hmm. that, ca that that can be achieved. Yeah, okay, so direct trade. Direct trade. Point two. Um, whole food preparation. Okay. Now, this is relative to silo, not relative to all zero-waste businesses. If you're, say, a bakery just around the corner and want to be zero-waste, you can do that without churning your own butter, without milling your own flour. We choose to do that. So, yeah, it's relative to us because back in eight years ago, um, there wasn't other, uh, this is where our geeky systems approach would, you know, align, but I'm going to try and um, kind of simplify what I would naturally say to yourself. Yeah. But essentially, if there was multiple other uh, zero waste satellites with the same values that like did zero waste, then we wouldn't need to make everything from scratch because they'd be making butter and could in a in a tub rather yeah. than single use or excellent, you know. Um, and when the whole system is online to zero waste, we can all interconnect. Yeah. But right then it was just us, you know, we were just on our own and no one else was doing zero waste. So we couldn't, we we had to do everything ourselves from scratch. Yeah. So that's why whole food preparation was the second um, pillar of zero waste eight years ago. Um, it still is now for another reason. We could easily buy in all of these things, zero waste now, yeah. but we choose not to for creative development reasons. Um, it's like an interpersonal relationship we have with this system yeah. and how it changes the way we think. So that's, um, but not everyone would have to do that. If anyone's w watching this or listening to this, they can have a zero waste anything um, and they don't have to make everything from scratch so yeah, yeah relative to us so yeah that's the second one whole so, food so whole food preparation is milling your own flour making your own Churn bread your own butter, your own butter. everything if you imagine everything coming from nature what does that thing look like you know milk and cream if we want yogurt we make it from milk if we want creme fraiche we make it from cream yeah if you know etc if we want cheese we make cheese so it's a, a lot of labor a labor of love um, and and so, yeah, just imagine what that thing would look like in nature. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, we don't get, you don't get flour from nature. You yeah. get wheats from nature. So yeah. we get wheats. So it's basically a holistic a whole food preparation. Fantastic. Okay. And then the third one, and this is where we met, is <laughs> composting. Yeah. And uh, so if you imagine by this point in our little restaurant, everything's coming in directly from farmers. Uh, it's coming in in reusable vessels or natural materials. And the, the ingredients themselves are obviously natural. And then we resourcefully cook all of that. Eventually or inevitably, there will be um, food that does not get consumed. Yeah. Whether it's inedible, like an eggshell, whether it's... Um, perished, whether it's something that's fallen on the floor, inevitably, or, or cardboard, or natural materials that we can and need to rely on, 
there is this kind of uh, waste. Yeah. And so that's where uh, composting is a, um, an upcycle. It's a way of turning that waste into something that nature needs. And so going back to the beginning where we get that uh, food from, farmers coming into our restaurant directly yeah. with some loose vegetables, you say, great, here's your compost. So they go on the merry way with compost and it creates this closed loop. Yeah. And so that is the three steps of zero waste. Fantastic. And so I, I think I recall from Silo, you literally had one small bin that was actually front of house, wasn't it, near the counter to prove, and that's what I love, the transparency. Mm. You proved what you were doing. Mm -hmm. So you'd removed all the packaging in the supply chain. Yeah. You'd, you'd, you'd made whole foods and you'd got more out of looking at elements of, of, of products that were, were, were considered waste and thrown away yeah, that you yeah. cooked and made beautiful dishes with. Yeah, yeah. And you'd end up composting the stuff that they couldn't get back and yeah. you were left with one small bin. And, and from yeah, there, yeah. that created the movement of Silo. So, fa Absolutely, so, yeah. so fantastic for pioneering mm, that. That yeah. is, just to think about it, but then actually go and do it yeah. is an amazing achievement. So that was Silo in Australia. You then came back to the UK well, when I yeah. first week. And, and then, so bring us now from Australia to mm. where you are now. Yeah, so that was where Yoast kind of left me. It was just like, um, Yoast had this idea and he's an artist and he has, you know, great ideas. And he said, you know, do these three things. He didn't kind of lay it out in this intellectual yeah. way. It was kind of off the cuff. There was your blueprint. Go away. Yeah, it <laughs> Go was away. less of a blueprint, yeah. more of just like a, you know, uh, uh, just a quick, uh, you know, there's an idea. Yeah. It, it wasn't that thought through or yeah. written down or anything. Yeah. Uh, and then I kind of made sense of it all. Okay. That's where I came in. That was my value in this, you know, Yost was this genius kind of visionary. And then I kind of put it all together and, um, and then life was life and I had to go back to England. Yeah. Um, for, for family and stuff. And so Yoast was very supportive and said, you know what, like you are Silo, you have become Silo because yep. by that point it'd been like a year and I just did it on my own in this little cafe. Well, we had a little team, but he had gone on to do other projects. So it was kind of me that was just making it work. Yep. So he gifted me with this kind of name Silo and this idea. So I came back to the UK, determined to continue this path and make it bigger and better, make it make sense. Because yeah. at that point, it was just this kind of concept, conceptual, yeah. you know, um, paddle in the water of an idea. Um, so now I was back in the UK and opened Silo in Brighton in yeah. 2014, which is seven years ago now. Um, and uh, I did it all on my own, which was the stupidest thing I've ever done in my life. I <laughs> uh, did it with no investment. There was no investors. I remortgaged my mum's house to get 30 grand, um, which was definitely not enough money. And didn't have a team, didn't even have a proven concept. We'd yeah. been playing around with an idea and it wasn't proven. And um, yeah, I had, had nothing. I was 26 as well. I was incredibly young, super naive. I think there's a lot to be said for naivety. Well, I wouldn't have done this if I, I wasn't so naive. Do you not think naivety is and again, I read the book and I empathise a lot in yeah, that in terms yeah. of what, what I found is that there's, um, in terms of trying to drive the whole sustainability agenda forward, I've made so many mistakes, it, mm. it, it, it's ridiculous. And yeah. naivety, and I, that, that, that thing where you say you look back in shame at things yeah, you've done, yeah, I've yeah, done yeah. things and I've looked back and thought, what the hell was I doing? Yeah, but actually yeah. going through that process was part of, of narrowing down 
exactly where we need to go. And I like the mm. bit in your book, it's like with sustainability, it's failure, 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 sort of success, failure, failure, yeah, failure, yeah, yeah. sort of success, failure, failure, success. And that's mm. kind of the, the, the path yeah. you go through. So I, I empathise with that. But obviously that's where you've got the vision of sustainability, the vision of zero waste. Yeah. Because it was so new, mm. you've got to drive it because if you don't yeah, believe yeah, in it and yeah. you do that. So so I get that. Mm. So you, you, you're fully committed to it and you've yeah. gone down to Silo Bride. And, and wasn't I right in saying that, I mean, this is this is where it starts getting of the moment um, because wasn't it so that, uh, that that someone somehow got out into the press that you were opening this restaurant and even before you'd opened it, people yeah, started yeah, talking yeah, about yeah, it. Yeah. And, <laughs> and there, was, there was a part of what you talked about sustainability in your book as well is that Sustainable, and this is what we touched with Mark as well. It's got to be sexy. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. this has yeah. got to be for this to, for sustainability to work. It's got to be mm. sexy. It's got to be the new call. Yeah. yeah, and obviously you started getting in on that sustainability being the new call. You were in Brighton, which is a pretty cool place anyway, mm. and pretty forward thinking. You did this. People have got word of it, and you've already got a buzz. Now that doesn't mean you've got to work in restaurant yeah, that is both yeah, sustainable yeah. and financially sound, but you you've started going on that journey. So. Brighton opens, and mm. how did that go? Um, <clears throat> yeah, well, you know, it was an observation of mine of Yoast. You know, he made this um, subject for me. Like, I didn't know what sustainability was. I had no interest in anything regarding sustainability, but he made it exciting. Yeah, you know, he was an artist, and I, uh, you know, aspired to do art um, in, in various different ways and so it was just like so like excited by this and knew that that was what would make zero waste succeed is if, if it was attractive to people yeah. um, and when I opened the restaurant found this beautiful old warehouse and you know I'm from my pedigree of cooking is super fine dining and like worked at some of the world's best restaurants and so had this ability to make great food um, not that I did. <laughs> I did on a good day. Yeah. Um, but um, that was a very, very difficult five years. So yeah. Silo in Brighton was a five-year, um, what I call a land race. I don't know if you're familiar with that term. So a land race is this idea in nature where you maybe you're a farmer and you have 100 seeds that you want to test on your new plot of land. And you throw down 100 seeds and you only intend to grow two or three or maybe even yeah. one. And the idea is you the strong outcompete the weak. Um, and so you might have a hundred seeds and see which ones succeed. It's kind of like that with Silo Brighton. It was like, I have a thousand ideas. Sounds like one of our board meetings. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I get it, yeah. I have like a thousand ideas and it was five years of laying those yeah. 5,000, um, those thousands of seeds and just like seeing which ones would, would survive, which ones would work. But it sounds very sort of um, romantic almost, but it wasn't. No. It was. It was incredibly stressful. Like you know, if you think about it, if you spend a day or you spend a week or a month doing ten particular things and you're failing at ninety percent of them, you know, psychologically and emotionally, that amount of failure is yeah. quite devastating. So you've got to run a business as well. And you, you can't got to just run, run a business. business on yeah, yeah, yeah. And this is, you know, yeah, this yeah. is the challenge with sustainability is a lot of new areas that are being tested. There's a lot of heavy lifting. There's a lot mm. of research. There's a lot of trial and error. You've got to yeah. run a business as well because mm. if you haven't got a business, you can't, you can't plant those seeds in the first place. Needless to say, I didn't get paid for five years. No, <laughs> no. But, but look... 
It's okay. So the success mm. of Silo and, 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 and now taking on that, that, that you, you developed, so you then went and developed the blueprint mm. and you took that yeah. on here. Now, yeah. we're sitting in here in, in Silo London, London today, yeah. which is, we've moved it on from there, which is, so you still retain your core values. You, um, you opened last year. Mm -hmm. Um, and you got some rave reviews, the mm. food, the building, the, yeah, the, yeah. the approach. Mm. So, yeah, you might not have been paid, but like a lot of businesses, <laughs> yeah, yeah. you put it in at the start and yeah, you yeah. benefit. So before mm. we go and talk on about the model, the application of the model to the, to the wider point, you know, you've got to a point here where, where, where Silo, Silo's put, definitely put his mark on the map. Mm. People know who Silo are. People know yeah, who yeah. Douglas McMaster are. And you started that movement. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, again, we started talking about uh, kind of a difficult childhood, but I look back and, and think I'm grateful for all of those hardships because I know that if I had had a better childhood, a better teenage, uh, teenage years, I wouldn't have been as fiercely committed yep. to this um, you know, this movement and this, this idea and definitely wouldn't have succeeded. We definitely would have gone out of business in Brighton. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. yeah I just, for the sheer grit of my teeth, like insisted that this cannot fail. My business partner in Brighton said, I think enough's enough. You know, we probably can't pay staff next week. We, we, yeah. We're going, we probably had 10 conversations where we were like, let's end the business. Yeah. And I was just like, no, never. Once to the point where I was just like, okay, I actually agreed with him once. And then the next day I was like, no, 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 we can still make this work. Yeah. Because it's, it's your purpose. Because you've taken yeah. that on as a purpose. And whether you didn't do the business, yeah. it will come in some other form. And once, mm. I think once you, you understand how business can change and you get that, penny drop moment mm. actually you can't revert back to the way that business yeah, yeah. was yeah so let's let's talk about the the issue now and and, and one of the things that i've been involved in particularly is is packaging mm. so let's take packaging you successfully proved okay you say in your book on a nanoscale but you've mm. proved that you can operate a business without packaging and let's let's park on the go packaging mm -hmm. at the moment because that's another challenge yeah tertiary and secondary packaging where you're delivering products you've proved that okay some elements of cardboard but i think we'd accept cardboard as a very mm. readily uh, recyclable mm. material yeah and glass you've done some great stuff with glass mm. that you're taking responsibility for and that's what yeah. i love you take mm. responsibility for everything you produce and that that for me is the the, the, the key mantra that everyone should yeah. follow so you've done that at silo the reality is to change and to move forward, we need to change systems so that becomes mass market. Mm -hmm. So I think the evidence now is certainly moving into, hopefully moving into a post-COVID area. What mm. we've seen is there's been a massive change in the supply chain, which has probably made direct trading with farms or suppliers a lot more feasible, or has accelerated that to the point because of the amount of home deliveries that are happening. Mm. Um, albeit that that still is in an element of packaging and, mm. and, and an element of plastic. So how do we now leverage it? How do we take what you've done? If we say, right, a pre-industrial system is the blueprint for, for change, we need to go direct to farmers. Mm -hmm. How do we get business? Because ultimately that means fundamentally changing, completely changing the way kitchens work. Yeah. And how do we get farmers to do that? Because mm. does that give them the security of, of, of supply and can they deal with it? So. Mm. This isn't going to be something that's overnight, but I agree that when we talk about manufacturing, direct to manufacturers, mm. I don't think we're ever going to cut out the middleman, and the middleman will probably yep. 
work for a lot of people. You know, there's moment. probably an element of industrialization that, that we've gone through. But I do think it creates, mm. it has created apathy. Mm. And it's created that disconnect from nature. So how can we take what you've done, so let's say take it to the mass market, mm. but get more people, the starting point is getting more people doing what you've done. Is it, are you just inspiring them? This is the blueprint, it can be done? Or, mm. or do you think, what, what else do we need to do mm. in your opinion? Something that before we answer that, I think it's a really important um, point to, to, to make clear, and, uh, and I believe full, full-heartedly that, um, that waste exists because of humans. So you can talk about feces, that's waste, it's not waste, that's food, that's part of life's um, intricate uh, circular tapestry, um, but plastic and uh, non-natural materials where we synthesize natural materials together to create something non-natural is unique to humans. Um, and so waste exists because of humans. You know, there's no bin in a, in a, in a jungle. You know, there's only bin in, in industrial societies. Um, so waste exists because of, of humans. And the industrialism is that uh, machine that creates waste. Mm. And so it's important to state um, that, you know, why waste exists. Uh, I think it's that, that's a key thing to work back from when you understand why waste exists. And you, you, you know, some sobering um, realities that waste is actually quite a modern thing. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not that old. It's not like it's been embedded in human life for, for millions of years. It's, it's you know, a, hundred, a couple of hundred thousands of years. Mm -hmm. And, you know, my belief is that, you know, we've kind of designed it quite recently into yep. our world and we can design it out again. So I think that's really important. And industrialism isn't just a literal manifestation of waste, but it is a, um, a social and a psychological um, force to create waste. So what industrialism creates is separation from nature. You know, you think of cities, you think of like going to like the corner shop and, and getting food and drink and items that is so far detached from nature. Yeah. It's so unnatural in every, in every sense and that's um, how habitually people live and consume and they're so detached from nature that they see this thing as just this kind of commodity and it is a commodity um, and there's no relationship or sensitivity to it so why would they care if it got wasted yeah. why would it why would they care if there was a massive stack of plastic it doesn't mean anything to them yeah they don't see the damage that it creates to nature you know so there is that apathy created because of industrialism and I think that's super important to like to to, to make clear agreed and something that I, I, I again getting quite nerdy on on system change is scale mm. now scale sounds like it's, it's, it's kind of an overlooked uh, point in this conversation but like industrialism is scale yeah you know, it's a word to define a scale. Um, now, I, I only in the last couple of years actually started considering the impact of, or like the, it's almost like the subconscious effect, the 
of 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 the scale like how does that um change things for so for instance agrarian scale is like this idea of like a town or a village in which everything that that town or a village needs comes from the town or yep. the village or local to that town or village and that's just, and I was like thinking about this scale this agrarian scale like how would people's relationship to nature be and an agrarian scale versus an industrial scale. Yeah. And as just mentioned, the apathy created from industrial scale is it's quite damaging. Um, but on an agrarian scale, imagine if you knew through a friend of a friend, everyone that creates the food that you eat, or every material, every cloth, everything that you touch and see and feel, the toilet from the walls mm. to the, the guy who, you know, finish the roof for you or, or you know um, there would be that uh, different sensitivity and responsibility to to maintaining and managing and uh, loving those materials including the food mm. that that, uh, that you lived with and and consumed and etc so I, I feel like scale is such an important point um, in terms of sustainability and that goes hand in hand with zero waste. Yeah, because I think if you get scale, I mean, there's no, I don't think anyone argue that a reuse mm. system could work. What a reuse system can't work is if you've got multiple reuse systems yes. and yeah, you've yeah. got only individual peoples doing it. You mm. need you need an element of standardisation yes, from that side. Absolutely. Of and so, and so, therefore, is it about more? Is it about growing that agrarian ecosystem mm. to almost then give another option to industrialism? Yeah. Because so, so it's more about you working with your supply chains word of mouth finding that network and actually mm. working on those local networks mm. i.e you go someone and someone does do the flour someone yeah. does do the butter you then buy the yeah. butter from that exactly so yeah. is it going to grow organically through those relationships mm. that people are passionate at doing it yeah that may be the case yeah the thing that that then comes back to is 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 the, what's what's the what's the role for uk farming and, and and evidently one of the reasons why we've gone to these mass supply chains is price mm -hmm. you know yeah, and yeah, so yeah. therefore yeah. What's the impact on price? So the agrarian model's great, but mm. what's the cost impact then for people going out and buying food? And what's the, you know, because undoubtedly it, it is bonkers that we, you know, we, we make produce here, yet we buy it and we import it. I mean, yeah. it doesn't make sense, but it's because of, uh, as a price issue. Do you think, though, and um, something that you've, you've proved is that actually and we've seen this in products as well, actually there would be support for that localism mm. and agrarian society. If people knew they were paying to the community and supporting the community as opposed to paying a faceless corporation. Yeah, exactly. That actually yeah, they've yeah. got no real understanding of, of mm. what their sustainability credentials are. Actually, people might value that more because they value the relationship, they value the local produce, and therefore the whole economic model mm. does become more real. Yeah. Is that so? So, do you agree? To, so, both businesses and consumers, there is a an element of a price mm. point there. Yeah, I mean, again, I can only compare it to Silo in, in Brighton when we first started. You know, we, uh, for instance, our staff costs would be sixty percent when some restaurants are as low as thirty percent, and yeah. that is not sustainable. And there are all these added uh, costs. You know, we're yeah. paying more. For, for the ingredients, I was driving a day a week, and that was a, a lot of money versus you know petrol and time. So all of these extra costs were there. Like in the uh, what you've just suggested, like if we were going to buy seasonal and local, and yeah. it would cost more. Um, but it is a um, 
it's uh, it's it's not actually true. Yeah. When you so now uh, staff costs at Silo are, are right down to where they should be, yeah. and it was just a matter of um, imagine a big dashboard with all these dials, and like you spin one out, and then it's out of balance, yeah. and you just have to find that harmony in all of those variables in that system. Yeah. So whilst our staff costs went up, our prices were too low, so we had to bring that price uh, of the menu up. But then you're like, well. well how do you do that? Because the customer's not going to come because so you, you, you're just constantly having to readjust, realign the system. And yeah. that's why it's a complete system change. Yeah. Because you, you can't just change one thing and then hope it's all going to work. You yeah. have to find this harmony between all of those variables that you're interfering with in that system. And so, yeah, if you say to someone, oh, you know, pay more for fruit and veg, they'll be like, no. Yeah. And that's like just turning up. It's not going to work like that. You have to find this harmony within the whole system in that agrarian model. And we probably don't have enough time to go over all the nuance of that system today. But you've proved, you, but you've proved that that system yeah. works and you, you, you've shown that there's an, an appetite for that system. Mm. Because agree, because the benefit you're getting from BioDirect is you haven't got to pay the middleman, yet yeah. you've got bigger labour costs. Mm. So you're right, it's about, and, and once you find out what, and, and the more people who are working within that local system, the more you can leverage the cost. So actually, yeah, yeah. Yeah. doing the five years of hard work is the hard bit, because yeah. you've got to build the system. Once you build the system, it's about leveraging the system. Mm. Now that system is never, is never gonna be as, let's say, cheap mm. as an industrial system, no. but it will have a lot more value. Yeah. And I think the value, not only socially, but also environmentally, yeah. um, but that doesn't necessarily mean the cost needs to be more. Yeah, yeah. And so that's the challenge, isn't it? How do we, how do we shift mm. from cheap to value in yeah, food yeah. as well? In yeah. Yeah, I mean, the thing, yeah, I really would like to say is just that um, if something is cheap, it's only cheap to you in that moment. Yeah. You know, if you buy a, a cheap steak or a cheap McDonald's, the environment pays for it or plastic pollution suffers. You yeah. know, it, it, somebody else pays for it. There's yeah. no such thing as cheap food. Yeah, no. And there's no connection with cheap food as well no. from that side of things. Well, that's great. I think that what, what I'd like to finish up on is... Obviously, you've you've gone through that that great journey, and I've I've watched it with with fascination. It's been really good because it's kind of you, it kind of my 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 kind of you know time in sustainability has been 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 mirrored by yours. Mirrored, it's been great, yeah, we've great. Gone on the same journey. Yeah, same challenges, same empathies, mm. and all that kind of stuff. So, in terms of you've obviously achieved a hell of a lot, and you've obviously got to the point where you've now got the blueprint down. You wrote a fantastic book, which I would recommend everyone to read. Um, but we're now at a point where kind of, that's not done because it's never done. That's, mm. that's really just one seed. That, that yeah, approach yeah. has got to be taken up. But what, what, what's, your, what's your purpose now? Is there, is it, is, and what are your plans moving forward about driving this forward? Um, so I guess um, accessibility, yeah. Um, we are, if you think about the sort of, um, we created this blueprint, just me and like a bunch of people around me and like, and how that feeds into the industry. And that's, this is specific to hospitality, yeah. but it is very, very international. Uh, you know, I've often been doing talks and uh, dinners all over the world talking about this system. Yeah. And I'm seeing now, particularly in the last couple of years, 
that people are really adopting these ideas and it is filtering down I into agree. the system. And that is wonderful. And that's just, I guess, the blueprint is becoming more and more accessible because sometimes if it's people reading the Silo book or, I don't know, a, a podcast about what I've done with Silo, it feels quite lofty it feels quite like oh i don't want to go through what he went through you yeah. know that sounds stressful you know and 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 that's so it, it's no it's not accessible it's not very realistic to people and so trying to make it more and more like welcoming um and approachable uh, is a sort of mission that i've been sort of on for the last few years um the book was was Again, again, very sort of readable, very accessible in that it was, you know, anyone could buy a book. Um, but again, the content within it was quite, I, I, I wanted to be brutally honest. And it is, you know, change is hard, yeah. you know, change is hard. And being the first is really, really hard. And it does get easier as it goes down, as it filters into the system. And it is filtering into the system. And like I mentioned on the whole whole food preparation bit, that is greatly where all of my stress comes from. It's like the chefs inside are having to do everything like that. Yeah. It's very, very stressful. Um, but not everyone has to do that, you know. So again, it becomes the idea becomes more accessible, and then there's a whole this this we're talking about this specific system, but this whole movement goes into lifestyle and it goes into like you know so many different behaviours socially. And um, something that I'm working on now is uh, the zero waste cooking school. Okay. Yeah, so yeah, it's, it's, it's basically this thought process of like, how do we make these ideas more accessible? And it's basically just like a, a free online cooking school on YouTube and Instagram, just type zero waste cooking school. And basically we just do um, dozens of videos that um, will be a home recipe or we'll be looking at a particular uh, idea in silo like the bread or a supply chain or a farmer and each video is just a really entertaining seven minutes or, or four a few minutes on instagram um, an entertaining look at like what we do yeah. and little home recipes and there's just these little nuggets of um, zero waste wisdom in each video so it's not overwhelming and yeah. it's just easy to sort of absorb um, slowly but surely and make it cool and make it sexy make it accessible yeah. make it on the right formats the bites size chunks that people yeah, want exactly. to watch yeah and that's and, and that's kind of, it, it, it's spreading the message you've got the message you yeah know, now spread it so well that's great well, I, look, yeah. I, I look forward to so it's going from kind of abstract conceptual lofty restaurant to yeah. like much more accessible everyone in the world can watch a youtube episode you know and that's the part of challenge of sustainability isn't it you know yeah. it's it can't just be a niche thing that we discuss here and we have ideas it's got mm. to go into the mainstream we've yeah. got to get people around the meal table at home talking about it talking mm. about these issues it is a mainstream issue and yeah. i think there's a a lot of engagement there mm. so thanks for that doug that's been Pleasure. absolutely fantastic thanks for your time Pleasure. It's great seeing your success uh, i wish you every success for the future yeah thank um, you as someone commented in the book the world needs uh, a lot more doug mcmasters <laughs> and they do yeah. because you know you, you've you've you found your purpose and you've and, and you've pushed that through with true spirit. You've you've got to the point. You've achieved this, and I think I think there's still a lot more to achieve. But uh, you know, sitting here, ten years after we met, in a coffee shop in Brighton to discuss ideas about what yeah, was happening yeah. in Australia, I think a lot has happened. And mm. like you said, I think that change is starting. And I'm not, I now you know foresee these little 
ecosystems, these direct-to-farm, direct-to-producer relationships. I think there's an appetite for that for the consumer. Mm. If we can make that call and we yep. can connect them with nature and make that call and increase their well-being, then I think, you know, those five hard years really are turning bright yeah, and all this yeah, kind yeah. of through will be worth it because there, mm. there will be an outcome for that. Yeah. If anyone wants to find out about uh, Silo in, in London, you've got, I take it you've got Instagram and yeah. websites and all that yeah, kind of stuff. Yeah. Is it silolondon.com? Silolondon.com and silolondon on Instagram. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I, you know, anyone who's interested in this, also uh, the book is available on the website yeah. as well. That's a fantastic read. Mm. Really good stuff. Thank um, you very much. So I wish you all the success for the future. And, Thanks, you know, hopefully in an, in the, in 10 years time we'll be we'll be sitting here <laughs> talking about another 10 years of development yeah exactly yeah brilliant thanks <laughs> so much. thanks a lot